I imagine being murdered is a terror beyond imagining. Your mind desperately tries to find a way out of the situation, only to realize that there is no way out. The only thing worse would be to be murdered by someone who you loved and treasured. What emotion hits you? Betrayal? Confusion? Hate? Today we look at Frederick Deeming, a man with a penchant for killing family. Y'all listening to Old Tiny Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Hey, it's Old Tiny Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And how's everybody doing this week? I am just enthralled with your sweater. Isn't this the best sweater? It looks so nice. It looks like it. Don't take offense to this. It looks like it's straight out of the Baby Yoda collection. <laughs> But it looks so comfortable. It is. It, I actually got it from my in-laws for Christmas. Uh-huh. And I told Jackson today, I was like, I owe your mother a thousand thanks. This has become my, like, I need to feel better sweater. It looks like a Snuggie, but as a shirt. Yeah, yeah. Feel it. Oh, oh my oh, God. Awesome. I seriously wore it for like three weeks on and off before I washed it because I was like so afraid that I was going to wash the soft out of it. And then I finally washed it. I was like, oh, it's still there. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've been going through some, my back problems are back. <laughs> As Jackson likes to say, baby got back problems. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I needed to feel better tonight. So I put on my feel better sweater. Christy, little in the middle, but sacroiliac. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my god, I don't even know where to go with that. But as a result of my back problems, I have a podcast recommendation. Ooh. Because I was doing nothing but sitting in a in a chair with a, a um, hot thingy. Heating pad? Heating pad, that's it. And my TENS unit and cross-stitching and listening to podcasts. The Tunnel 29 series, it's, it's from the Intrigue podcast, which is BBC, and it is absolutely riveting. It's about um, people tunneling underneath the Berlin Wall, trying to escape from one side of Germany to the other during the time that it was divided. And it is so fascinating that it has already been optioned for either a TV series or movie, nobody's really sure yet, by the same people who produced Chernobyl. Ooh. Yeah. So like I it, uh, I just listened to it and then the very next day I saw that news and I was like, holy crap, that must, <laughs> somebody actually sees how good it is. So yeah, that was really good. They, they have two other uh, series in that uh, and th those are both excellent, but the Tunnel 29 one is just, it's so riveting. So yeah, I that's love, my podcast rec. I love the fact that we live in an era where some guys can get together, make a podcast and somebody else goes, I'm going to pay you a bunch of money to make that in a movie. Well, I mean, granted, it's the BBC. <laughs> They're, they're pretty well established already. <laughs> they had that little Doctor Who thing, but beyond that, I don't know, I'll pay attention to what they do. So how's everybody else's week going, aside from being enthralled with my Feel Better sweater? Uh, it, it's been okay. It's been okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, it has not been great, but I, I'm getting through. I'm getting through. Good. We'll get there. I've been drinking a little more, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. All right. Drinking is important. It is. It's hydration, what have you. It's like the biggest part of my food chain is liquor. <laughs> it's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, except at the very top, it's like, alcohol, oxygen. <laughs> no, 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 because it can't be the smallest box. <laughs> this, this is true. <laughs> Amber's pyramid is upside down. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Scott? It's been, it's been a week. 
It's right? been a week. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to complain about it because I'll have to take legal action and then that's just a whole bitch. Yeah. So, but other than that, yeah, everything's everything's been going really, really nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been great. I've been sitting at home. My cats love me. My dog loves me. I've got a 3D printer, a ton of transformers. Yeah, I'm good. I just need sunlight. Where the fuck is the sun? It was out for like three seconds today. It was glorious. I was only to piss us off. It's like, remember, I'm still here. Goodbye. Okay, so I'm not going to say why, but I actually had to go to a therapist's office this week. And um, <laughs> it wasn't for me. Fair enough. Um, but anyway, they, they, they called me back to answer some questions. And um, they had a fun box, which I guess is for the people talking to the therapist. Which I immediately ran to because it was all sorts of squishy things, right? And so, like, no shame. I'm sitting on the floor with this basket and just squeezing all these things. I'm like, these are great! And the therapist, I think, wants to see me again. Okay. <laughs> but but for me this time. <laughs> well, somebody probably should have seen a therapist, but actually probably saw some psychiatrist and it didn't do a whole lot of good. <laughs> Is Frederick Bailey Deeming. That's right, Australia. We see you. You're like third after the U.S. and the U.K., on our listenership. So thank you, Australia. This one is for you blokes, and I'm not doing an Australian accent because I feel like that would be insulting. Yes, thank God for that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to either, but if one slips out, I'm sorry. Because our, ac our accents somehow always end up turning into Australian somehow. When we're trying for British, they turn Australian. So probably what would happen is we'd try for Australian, mm -hmm. and it would turn either British or Swedish. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? This would actually kind of work because of Frederick Deeming's Australian English switcherooskies. Yeah, yeah yes. he's kind of like ACDC, who is popular in both countries. <laughs> in a way, yeah. In a way, yeah. <laughs> he was born on July 30th, 1853, in quite the town, Ashby de la Zouch. Zouch? Yeah, I didn't even write that down because I wasn't going to try to say it. It in... sounds like something Jay and Silent Bob would say. Ashby, <laughs> yeah. Ashby de la Zouch, motherfuckers! <laughs> That does sound like, oh my gosh. 15 bucks, little man. Put, Put that, that shit in, in my, my hand. <laughs> and this is in Leicestershire. I seriously looked up the pronunciation of that and I put it phonetically and I'm pretty sure I still butchered it. In England. Please tell me you looked up some pubs. Um, I've got some Australian pubs for us. Yes! Oh yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna turn this into a song. I'm calling it Pub Step. <laughs> Pub Step? Pub Step, absolutely. His parents were Thomas and Anne Deeming. His father was a brazier. And I at one point wrote his mother occupation, not listed, surprisingly, shock. Um, but then actually I saw a Sunday school teacher. She I was, was like, well, Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teacher. One, one day a week, gets you out of the house, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, he was the youngest of seven and kind of known as a problem child type. His nickname was Mad Fred yeah. due Jesus. to his behavior. Jesus Christ. All right. But, but they say that was actually stemming from his father who uh, gave out savage beatings. Yeah. Yeah. To the kids, which I mean, at the time was socially acceptable. Now it's a big no, no. Um, but I mean, at the time it was probably... It was pretty much the norm. Which is, yeah. you, you beat your kids, your neighbor beats your kids, your boss beats your kids. Everybody beats your kids. I like how he, he gave out savage beatings. Not delivered them, but gave them out <laughs> as if they were like candy. And I'm a little tired today, so I'm going to give you a certificate for one brutal beating. <laughs> Two hands behind my back. One is butterscotch, one is a fist. <laughs> Go. 
That is the worst game. Yeah, I don't I even care the... if you get the butterscotch. The suspense is terrifying. I picked the butterscotch and he still punched me. He just had <laughs> butterscotch in his hand. The, the trick was there was no butterscotch for <laughs> yeah. you. He would punch you and then eat, eat the, the butterscotch. Yeah. What are you on here today? And his mother beats scripture into him, not literally that we know of. Um, I mean, she probably did. Like, I, I went to Catholic did. school, the nuns hit. It was pretty ingrained in him, and she subscribed to some very puritanical ideas, and this resulted in the rest of his life he was obsessed with sin and punishment because of this. But he was also kind of, like, obsessed with his mom. Like, he, yeah. the only thing he wanted was his mother's approval. Like, he loved her. That she was the best thing that ever was. Yeah, yeah. That that's, you know, it's it, a a mother child relationship can be a really beautiful thing, but sometimes it can get a little twisted. And, and yeah, it didn't. Yeah. So, according to him, both of his father and mother had stints in asylums, and and so did he. Just you know, in and out, in and out. His brother said that was all lies. His brother also <laughs> said that his claim that he was epileptic uh, or became epileptic at age eighteen was also a lie. Probably uh, drugs. Yeah, his brother Albert was like uh, <laughs> uh, to to use what I believe is some Australian, uh, not terminology, but just a, an Australian saying is yeah nah, <laughs> which I love. I just love that it's, it's it's the Australian version of yeah no yeah no. <laughs> So, Frederick Deeming ran away from home at age 16, but he still brought a little bit of home with him in the form of the Bible that he always had on hand. So, bringing his mom out with him where he goes and runs away to sea, as one does. Somebody told him the circus, but I guess he just lost the last five letters of the note and just... Close enough. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I actually, I, I saw a thing that while at sea, he suffered a severe brain fever. Yes, yes, the brain fever. Now, did you look into this at all, brain fever, and like what it actually is, I what possibly was? I did not go down that rabbit hole. I chose to stay out of it, but I'm sure you did. Yeah, yeah, I, I went down <laughs> it because I don't have any uh, impulse control when it comes to rabbit holes. This was pretty popular, popular during Victorian times. It was a pretty common uh illness ascribed to people. Some famous fictional victims include Emma Bovary from Madame Bovary and Pip from Great Expectations. Both of them came down with the brain fever after they had big upsetting negative events in their lives, which doctors tended to to ascribe it to. They said that that was one of the possible causes. Symptoms were headache, delirium, flushed skin, light and sound sensitivity. I can relate to that. I had an eye problem this week and I could not even like be in my kitchen. (laughs) It was like, oh God, no, I'm going to burn. So, so wait, my question here is brain fever. Is it just like a migraine nowadays? I mean, that was my thought, but likely like they, they, they did some looking at postmortem stuff and it could have been encephalitis or d- different forms of encephalitis or meningitis, which uh, you are married to meningitis man. I am. Or Johnstown man, but Johnstown man <laughs> who suffered from meningitis. Um, um, I was told that we cannot give those promotions out for free, Scott. That is true. That is uh, true. And you deserve a savage beating. Oh, okay. <laughs> not a butterscotch. Aww. No butterscotch for you. Can I have a butterscotch to soothe the savage beating? <laughs> no, but no. that is coming from Johnstown Man. Okay. Who, who survived meningitis. Fair enough. <laughs> so doctors in the day thought that it was, like in the fictional versions we see, experiencing a shock could bring this on. Uh, being, you know, getting super intellectual, doing a lot of intellectual stuff. You get the brain fever from reading too much. Um, or being 16 and running away on a ship. Yes, yes. Uh, got the brain fever. <laughs> and uh, overexertion, especially in women. Treatment was wet sheets and hot and cold baths. 
telling you what, this week I had my back problem, I had my eye problem, so I had a cold compress on my eyes, I had a heating pad on my back, and I took the most confusing nap of my life. It was, my, my, my all of my nerves were like, what's going on? Did, did Am you, I burning? Am I freezing? What's happening? Did you also pee a little so your sheets were wet just to No, I was on the couch. That? I didn't even have sheets, but, but oh, okay. yeah, it was just weird. So so that is brain fever. That is what I, what I know, know about it now. And we don't have really too much more of his childhood or younger years. His mother died in 1873. I don't remember if we mentioned that. And uh, he pretty much broke down. That 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 caused a lot of trauma. Um, who knows if they say like the if, if we ascribe to Victorian notions of disease, it could have been his mother breaking down. They gave him the brain fever. His humors were off balance. <laughs> this man needs more vitriots. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I really saw on that was that after his brain fever people that knew him before that were like he was never quite the same after yeah yeah you know what that kind of trauma i was really close to my mom i don't feel like i'm the same from before my you know before my mom died you might not feel the same to you but you feel the same to me fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> you're still very That's, doughy scott and, and <laughs> a creepy sentence i don't like that control z um I sometimes do that in real life. I'll do something. I'm like, control Z. Oh, God, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, and it could also be like these, these diseases, encephalitis, meningitis, they cause swelling of the brain. That can cause some some brain chemistry changes, or at least it's, it's thought. I don't know. I didn't look up the medical research on that. I didn't dig that deep down the rabbit hole. Good. So in February 1881, he married Marie James, who was, uh, quote, a typical Welsh lass. Uh, this was in England, and then uh, he deserted his ship, the Various, in Sydney the following August, and they lived around that area for a while, and they actually went by Mr. and Mrs. Ward at this time, which he will see a lot of aliases coming into play here. This is the, the, the first instance that I've seen, and it's interesting that she seemingly, as far as we can tell, went along with this. Unless it was just him going around town saying, hey, my wife's name is Mrs. Ward, and she's like, no, no, it's not. You know, unless that happened, which we don't know. But, so yeah. Um, he uh, spent some time working as a plumber and a gas fitter, which is just basically somebody who does stuff with, you know, anything that requires natural gas. I, I just... I, my brain went straight to gas lamps, and I'm sure there was a lot of work there, but there's also, like, gas burners, as we're about to see. Because uh, by April 1882, he'd been tossed in jail for six weeks for stealing eight gas burners. He insisted he didn't do it, as they all do. I mean, not to say that false accusations don't happen, but, mm -hmm. you know, well, he probably did it. Uh, they found the gas burners at his house, which pretty much blows up his hole. It wasn't me! Don't, <laughs> don't, you don't use the term blows up around a gas fitter. Yeah, they were very, true. very, very antsy about that. that. Yeah. You know what? Shaggy tried to get away with that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just so just confounded by the sentence that when they read it, he fainted. Drama queen. Uh... There's a lot of he pretended to faint. Yeah. That's yeah, well that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I don't think this was real. <laughs> I, I had a friend who uh who would he was an EMT, but he was also a policeman on top of it. So they would send him out to cases where like Oh yeah, this this person he's he's like knocked over a liquor store and he's he's pretended to faint. So what my buddy would do, he would lift the guy's hand up as he was unconscious and he would hold it up as far as he could away from their face and let it drop. And he goes, if the guy's hand would drop to the side, I knew he was fucking faking. If that hand hit him in the face, 
He goes, yep, okay, that that guy's going to need a, a cast on his nose now, <laughs> and he's, he's not faking. I've read that they also have, like, EMTs, there's a particular spot in your ribs, like, if you get, like, right in between that spot mm-hmm. and give it a good hard poke, and I think it's, it's I think it's right around the sternum, actually, maybe, um, if you could, like, you can't resist reacting to that. So they'll use that in cases where they think somebody might be might be faking or malingering, as they call it sometimes. Ooh, I kind of want to look into this and fuck with the kids. <laughs> oh, boy. Carter, come here. Damn! <laughs> oh, God. So uh, in July 1882, Marie comes... Oh, sorry. I said earlier that Marie was in Sydney. She doesn't come, I believe, until after he spends his time in jail. In July 1882, she comes to Sydney. In the following years, as they go back and forth... They would have three girls and a boy, but Bertha and Marie, their first two girls, were born in Australia. He hopped around to Melbourne and uh, Rockhampton. He did some gas fitting in those towns. And so from Rockhampton, we have Australian bars. Oh, here it comes. So we have the Giddy Goat Cafe and Bar. Okay. We have Rapples Hotel, which sounds a little cute, but I would still go there and just see if they have Rapples or what's so, going on. It sounds like something you'd name your puppy. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> is Rapples. 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 <laughs> oh. uh, the Ginger Mule, which I feel should be Amber's nickname. <laughs> I don't know that I like that. <laughs> You're stubborn and you have red hair. <laughs> and how much cocaine can you fit up your ass? <laughs> All right, fair. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my personal favorite Dingles. Oh. Home of the Dingles Singles Mingle on Valentine's Day this year. And there's also, I should say, especially since we just referenced uh, Jay and Silent Bob, that fits in perfectly with the fact that near all these, there's a street called Berserker Street. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, I'm cool with that. Okay. I want some like to fuck Berserker. <laughs> That's immediately what came to mind. <laughs> and the thing is, is that these places like Rockhampton, Melbourne, and Sydney, they're pretty distant from each other. Even today... It's a 15 and a half hour drive from Sydney to Rockhampton, and it's a nine hours drive uh, to Melbourne from Sydney. So I'm thinking there must have been some sailing. That must have been the way you got around then, because that's the horse and buggy or whatever. That's a long trip. That's rough. Once they finish the road, it'll be 10, 15 minutes. But... <laughs> yeah, you've experienced that. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm so still so fucking salty over that. <laughs> I can't blame you. I would be too. How much time did I waste? Five years of traveling. And that was before podcasts and I could listen to in my car. All right. So I actually, real fast about his kids, I need to appreciate this. So his first two girls, Bertha and Marie, were born in Sydney. Mm-hmm. His third child, their son, was named Sydney. And was born at sea. And was born at sea. <laughs> yeah. I fucking love that, though. I'm like, these two were born in Sydney. Let's just call this one Sydney. Whatever. <laughs> They've got something in common now. I'm gonna name my boy Johnstown. <laughs> my daughter mocks him. So he goes uh, back to Sydney in 1884, and business actually went well for a bit, but then we see him again in 1887 when he's brought back to court for bankruptcy. He is jailed for either perjury or failure to cooperate with the court, which I feel like those could also be the same thing, really. I mean, if you're lying, you're not cooperating. Mm-hmm. So, and and then again, he either gets 14 days, or I saw that in most sources. In one source, I saw that he fled while out on bail. Um, but yeah. 14 days, come on. It's close enough. Yeah. So in 1888, he moved the family to Cape Town, South Africa, 
And he was pretty surreptitious about this. He changed ships on the way, and then another alias comes into play, good old uh, Harry Lawson. And then pretty much as, almost as soon as they got to South Africa, he sends the family, you know, off to England, you know, off you go. And that's that's around the time that Sydney was born at sea. And then he's in South Africa and he bounces some bad checks with jewelers. He loved to do that. Loved like bouncing bad checks with them, scamming, swindling them. Just that was that was part of his one of his you know favorite things to do. It's a hobby. Everybody needs a hobby. Some of them will land you in jail and are very unethical and illegal. Uh, with, Don't judge me. <laughs> with, uh, and these jewelers were in Johannesburg and Klerkstorp. Klerkstorp. <laughs> New favorite town name, Klerkstorp. I have to <laughs> lean forward when I say it. Clerkstorp. I, I love the fact that he was also involved in a diamond mine swindle. Yes. What the fuck? The Transvaal. Yes. There's two A's. I'm saying them both. Transvaal, <laughs> diamond mine swindle. How do you swindle the ground itself? Well, no. Okay. I, I actually just recently listened to a part. I haven't listened to both episodes, but I listened to a podcast about this, and I really wish I could tell you exactly which one it was. It might have been Ridiculous History, I think. Uh, if I figure it out, I'll put it up on the social media. But I'm pretty sure it was Ridiculous History. And it, the diamond mine swindles, at least in America, uh, with the gold mines, what they would do is they would say, we have a gold mine that's going to pump out this much gold, and then we need advance money to pay for it. And then essentially, there's more. it's more complex than this, and you can keep, keep on coming back and saying, oh, I need more money, we've got more gold. But essentially, it's promising that you have money for something that you don't have, and then psh, bolting. Which is what he did. I see. But he was he was very bad at this stuff. Like he he constantly tried to like swindle, but then he would brag about it. Oh, he was such a bragger. But that's why he went to jail for bankruptcy. It's not because he went bankrupt, but because he bragged about how he faked it. That's why he went to jail because he's a fucking idiot. Guy couldn't keep his mouth shut to <laughs> no. save his life. I'm so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> And he also would, he would, you know, always, uh, especially in later years, show off all the jewels that he got from his various exploits. You know, he would he'd always be wearing them. People would like, would rem- and it, it makes you memorable, you know, which is, comes into play. But at this who, who who was that gentleman with the diamond-studded underwear parading <laughs> himself around the ship, showing his impressive package to the ladies? <laughs> but I'm actually I'm going to backtrack for just a second here. So when he was still living in Sydney, he actually owned his own gas fitting shop. And then he burnt it to the ground for insurance money. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and was underinsured. Oh. Fucking <laughs> hell, deeming. Like He wasn't good at it. No, he wasn't, but the, the schadenfreude is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, he does, after the diamond mine swindle and the bad checks in Clerkstorp, uh, he heads back Clerkstorp. to England. And like I said... Uh, the passengers remembered him well. Uh, he, he would every boat he was on. It was like his thing. He, you know, you're in close quarters. You're you've got a hostage audience. He would tell people boring stories that they never believed. I don't know how you can lie and still tell a boring story, but this guy managed it. Yo, no, we actually know somebody that used to do this shit. Oh, yeah, no, we know somebody yeah. that this reminded me of a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the people I work with is convinced I'm an absolute bullshitter. That's hilarious. You know, and it's a thing where, like, my, my buddy who sits next to me, he said, no, if Scott says something, you can pretty much take it to the bank. Uh, which, by the way, he wants to hear about the price of gold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, some other time. Some, some other time. Actually. Some other time. Uh, yeah. No, but that that's, the, that's yeah. the thing. Like, we have done some insanely stupid and weird things that don't sound realistic at all. No. They don't. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. And I'm so glad that you were there for a lot of it, just so I have somebody to back me up. Yeah, but then they just think I'm a liar, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everybody thought he was a liar, and he was. And he also, with this captive audience, would always give the ladies a lot of unwanted attention. So, have you ever had a, uh, a gold butt plug with a real diamond jewel in it? <laughs> it hurts! <laughs> in February 18... 18- oh. <laughs> I clenched a little there, sorry. I would clench when my back hurts. Uh, <laughs> In February 1890, uh, back over in England, he quote-unquote married Helen Matheson. If you will have noticed, we never said anything about a divorce or death from Marie. So this was not really super legal, but a lot of stuff he did wasn't. Don't Um, need it. It's okay. But that's the thing. He had all these aliases, and there was actually a lot of townspeople that were confused as to who his wife was because they looked very different. And he'd be like, yeah, that's my wife, that's my wife, whatever, that's my wife, that's my wife. His aliases had backstories to them, too. Like like Harry Lawson, uh, the one that he used in, in Queensland, uh, he was a retired sheep farmer. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just like, I'm Bill Soapdish, you know? No, it was, no, no, okay, I'm Harry Lawson, I'm a retired sheep farmer. Um, uh, pay no attention to my collection of real diamond <laughs> butt plugs. <Yeah. laughs> That's from a friend. And it was an Australian sheep farmer, too, so you must imagine he, he would have done some of the accent. Oh, exactly. Probably I badly. Just, yeah. I just imagine with Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> so he marries Helen Matheson. Now, this was his landlady's daughter. Uh, she was 21. He was 37. Creepy. Beverly, Yorkshire is where this happened. And he is still using the, the Lawson alias, the Aussie sheep farmer at this point in time. So he also... Uh, he paid for this wedding with money he gained by, of course, committing fraud. And then afterwards, he ran off with Helen Matheson's wedding ring and her trousseau, which was essentially you, in those days, you would build up, uh, a, a, it, generally, like, sometimes it was called a hope chest uh, of, of items to be used eventually in, in your own home once you got married. As a woman, this was something that was done. You know, you would do all your, your household goods and maybe some, some, you know, some china, whatever. Uh, yeah, he just my, ran right off with that shit. My mother had a hope chest. My mother had a hope chest, but it was just basic. It wasn't actually, she didn't use it for that. She just used it for storage, but she called it her hope chest. And it was at the foot of the bed. I don't have. Still the, is, I think. I don't have the hope chest anymore. Uh, unfortunately, that got destroyed. And Marie and her family members, it's said that they had actually heard about his marriage to Helen Matheson. So I don't imagine that that went well. He did stop after he ran off with the wedding ring and everything. Um, with for a visit with Marie, and he said, "Hey, I'm gonna head over to South America. Once I get settled in, I'll you know I'll send word. You guys come over and join me." And in that time before he left, he also found time to scam another jeweler because multitasking, you know, we gotta do it. So then he uh, he bolts out of England on the Coleridge. And remember, he's got this fraud behind him, this swindling and the bigamy. He ends up being caught in Montevideo, Uruguay. I like saying it like the way they say it. I know it's Montevideo. Oh, I have no Montevideo. idea. Montevideo. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I went with like the very American pronunciation where I see video and I pronounce it like it's a tape. Montevideo is the, uh, is the first place that the, uh, 
that the soccer team went to after they were rescued. Oh, from, from alive. From alive, oh. yes. Montevideo. So, now, I have a different take on this relationship. Okay. So, so we just said it kind of like, he's like, well, I'll go back to her. No, fuck that guy. So, um, he actually had abandoned his family twice. And I like this one so much better, and I hope that this is the truth. On both occasions, his first wife tracked him down Ooh. to get money to support his family. I like that, too. I like Ooh. it. I like it. I like that so much better. Um, she tracked him down when he was incarcerated. Um, when he rejected her, she informed Miss Matheson of their bigamous marriage. <laughs> get it, girl. And Miss um, Matheson... I don't care and, if I can't pull that off. That's okay. But, <laughs> it's all right. But this is because of her young age. Didn't say anything or do anything. She didn't tell the police. She's just like, okay, that sucks. Oh. So it's, that's a little disappointing because we had like a strong female. Like, I'm going to track your ass down. You're paying for these kids. And th- this other woman's just like, mm, I'll just sit here. It's okay. Well, Marie had some time... Again, she had some time in life experience to get hardened by a tough world. A tough world yeah. for, for a typical Welsh lass to be living in, especially when you're married to this dude. Well, and they also said that she, the, the second wife may not have said anything because she didn't want to damage her already damaged reputation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Reputation was huge and she basically would be impure and all that bullshit. But yeah, I, I like that one so much better. So she was tracking his ass down and blackmailing him for child support. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and so, yeah, he does end up getting caught in Uruguay. They extradite him. He goes to Hull for nine months. He's in jail on fraud charges, but no bigamy charges, which I kind of, I wanted to see him brought up on that. I want to see him pay for everything. He's let out in July, 1891, and he rents out Dinham Villa in Rainhill, Lancashire, Mm. under another alias, Albert Oliver Williams, and I would just like to call attention. We need like an alarm bell when we get three names. Mm-hmm. Like ding, ding, ding. They are like, eh, I would eh, be so bad submarine. at it. I'd be so bad at it because as soon as I, uh, name, Adolf Oliver Nipple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, he says in his backstory for this alias is that he's an army inspector or possibly a major, maybe both. And uh, that he, he's, he's leasing this, this villa on behalf of Colonel Brooks, who mysteriously never appears. Uh, he does have his sister and her children come to see him. Oh, there's uh, one more children. There's one more child now in the children oh, lineup. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Layla? Yes. They, had, they had a pronounced? fourth child somewhere in there. Yeah. And when in the villa, his sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Layla's about 18 months old at this time. And yeah. I can give you the other children's ages. Bertha, um, nine, Marie, seven, you. and Sydney, the son, is five. Thank you. Four that children, was like three she pages didn't, away. Four children, she didn't die. That's impressive. And none of them, well. Uh, <laughs> we did get the three-name alert. So, yeah, his sister and her kids, which was really Marie and his kids, shows up and, and is there. And actually, people... People would call him Major, and he would wander around doing the stolen valor bit in a military uniform. He was that dick. You know, and I'm, I'm actually really curious about what their life was like at the villa, because there was a story from one of the neighbors that the uh, two of the children had gone up to one of the neighbors and asked for some strawberries from his, his strawberry patch. And then as soon as the children talked to the neighbor, the mother called them in and then shut the door and the curtains. Mm. So they were they were very mm. kind of like locked up and, and isolated in the villa. 
That makes me kind of sad because the kids just wanted berries. They yeah. just wanted strawberries. Everybody wants strawberries. They're yummy. Strawberries <laughs> are fantastic. Strawberries strawberries are one of those fruits that tastes better than the fake version of the fruit because I like the tartness of a strawberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fake strawberries kind of has like, this is like strawberry flavored wax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the real thing with oh, those. Oh, so good. So <laughs> all this is going on. Got his quote-unquote sister and her kids visiting and everything. And then uh, in September, he had his third wedding. Uh, (laughs) So he marries Emily Lydia Mather in that same town. Basically, he marries her point four miles from the villa. Jesus Christ. Yeah, where he supposedly, like, you know, where his his sister and kids were at this point. Going all the way back to our first episode, tying it back, Trigamy. Trigamy! Oh my it gosh! It is now Trigamy. Trigamy! Yeah. It's oh my gosh! This is bringing it back. Holy yes, it is. Shit. Remember? Was, I remember we were sitting on my living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh my god! We were like, "Is Trigamy a thing? Let's look it up." Let's look it up! Oh, oh my gosh. god! Trigamy's a thing. Oh, this episode of Old Timey Crimey is sponsored by Podcorn. Podcasting is, for many of us, a labor of love. It really is, but that labor of love, man, it's it's got some costs. There's hosting, equipment, research materials, I could go on. So, if you're a podcaster who wants to get a little more out of it, you need to check out Podcorn. We've been with Podcorn since they first started, and we are loving every aspect of our experience. We can easily connect with potential sponsors for opportunities like host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. I really like how we can set our own rates. It gives us so much control. And I love how easy it is to find opportunities that are right for us. There are plenty of sponsorships just waiting, and all you have to do is browse through, pick one, and make a pitch. Even their customer service is top-notch. The one time I had a question, it was answered super fast, and they were so friendly and understanding. And we get so excited every time another proposal gets picked up. Money, money, money. (laughs) Yes, we do, Scott. Not only that, but everyone we've worked with, the sponsors and the people at Podcorn, has been so cool and down to earth. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work you do for brands. Click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Get paid for what you love. From our comments, he will not tolerate mm-hmm. your fake strawberry bashing. Oh, I'm sorry. Look, I don't have any problem with people who enjoy fake strawberry. I myself enjoy fake banana because it tastes like real banana, just not the bananas we eat today. We talked about bananas so much. We do. I love the sex life of a banana. Uh, but you know what? For me, it's I, I love strawberries. I love the real strawberries. Fake strawberries. Go for it. If it's your thing, go for it. Yeah, you do you. Mm-hmm. So he marries Emily Mather in Rainhill. They have a big reception afterwards. They they honeymoon in the south of England. And he actually has a clause on the lease on the, the Denham Villa that says that it cannot be relet or sold for six months because, of course, Colonel Brooks is coming. Mm-hmm. He's a coming. So this happy couple jaunts off to Australia on the Kaiser Wilhelm 
two or second. I'm not, okay. I've never seen the first one. <laughs> I don't know. Am I going to be able to follow this? Well, there's going to be some spoilers. <laughs> there's going to be some spoilers and because the last one was a cliffhanger. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's. I think that's a joke. I'm not sure. Um, so, which I'm. My thinking with this is when you name something after a a ruler, like a boat, is it the second Kaiser Wilhelm boat, or are you naming after the second Kaiser Wilhelm? I'm very am, confused. I don't think there was a second Kaiser Wilhelm, so I think it's the second boat. I don't know. The QE two is the Queen Elizabeth II. Okay, all right. So, maybe, maybe. I'm, yeah. I'm not looking it up. I refuse. Neither am I. <laughs> I, I need to save some space in my brain for the important yep, no, shit. Don't care about that. See, they need, and conflating if, boat names with royalty names is not something that needs brain space. If it's Kaiser Wilhelm II, then that's the what should be the boat. I think if it's the second boat named Kaiser Wilhelm, it should be Kaiser Wilhelm II Electric Boogaloo. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they get to Melbourne on December 15th. And on Christmas Day, in the little cottage on Andrew Street that they had rented under yet another alias, uh, Druin is the, the last name here, he uh, bashes her all about the head. Oh, I had Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. Well, it's one of those things where it could be either, you know? Fair, yeah. Um, and it sucks either way. <laughs> uh, slices her throat. And cements her underneath a hearthstone, which is basically just the stone in front of a fireplace. You know, yeah. you don't you don't put carpet there. Uh, so, and he after Christmas wrote to her mother, the just disgusting stones on this guy. I would like to say, we have spent a, a happy Christmas. Emily is the happiest woman ever seen. She does enjoy herself. Fuck you is what I have to say. That's just so cruel and just awful, you know, like, and I bet she wasn't happy when you were slicing her throat, dick. Sorry. No, no, that's (laughs) quite okay. The following January is a busy one for Frederick Deeming. Uh, He sells all of Emily's shit. Well, not quite all of it. Well, some of it will pop up later. Commits some more fraud. He uses another alias while he's trying to get a wife through a matrimonial agency, which uh, that was basically the Victorian Tinder but for actual marriage and not just, you know, sex. <laughs> there was a hookup, but it was in church. Look at these. not in the confessional. Look at these trollops on Victorian Tinder. This woman shows full ankle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he uh, hops a boat uh, to Sydney, scams a jeweler, and then pops the question to Kate Runesfell, who... Uh, would eventually be called the uncemented bride by the press. <laughs> yes, ruthless. Yes, king of hell. Kate basically said, "I couldn't think of marrying a stranger, somebody I'd only known for a few days, but he was so persistent that I eventually just said yes. Because, like, what am I going to do? You know." And so, I, I'd like to think is like, "Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me now? No. How about now? What he said what to her now? was, "How about now?" Will you marry me? Will you marry me? No! Will you marry me? No! Will you marry me? No! Will you marry me? No. How about now? No. What about yesterday? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He eventually said... See, you're laughing. Now you're thinking about maybe maybe this was the guy for me. (laughs) This is not the Spider-Man pajamas. (laughs) He said, uh, if you marry me, you'll never regret it. In fact, you'll congratulate yourself. Basically. Yeah, he literally said that. He said, you will congratulate yourself for having married me. This guy was a... 
fucking something or other. He yeah. really was. Um, so luckily, she dodged a bullet or maybe axed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because before they could get married, the police started looking at him. On March 3rd, 1892, a prospective tenant of the Windsor House complained of a, quote, most disagreeable smell yes, yes. in the second bedroom. And uh, they raised the hearthstone to investigate, whereupon the smell became so overpowering they found themselves barely able to breathe. And that's whenever they found Mather's body. The autopsy, that was March 3rd, the autopsy showed uh, that there are several fractures to the skull, but the actual cause of death was the throat being cut. Now, during this time, while they're discovering all this, he's off uh, in Western Australia. He gets some work as a mining engineer with alias number five, Baron Swanston. He's supposed to meet up with Kate later, and she's off dodging axes. He's also (laughs) seeing another girl, Annie Salter, at this time. And I have multiple direct quotes, and this girl... A Salter? A salter, a salter, a salter. <laughs> she would, she would later call him quote the gentlest of lovers that women found irresistible. Now, I would like to m- mention this is Victorian time. Lover doesn't mean they a banging. Okay, that's not what it means. A lover is somebody who courts you. You know, it, it's not she's taken a lover. It's you know she 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 has a lover wooing her. How scandalous! They held hands. <laughs> they left their Christmas lights up till January. Oh I, my god! I saw him make eye contact with her. Oh, I might swoon. So he's <laughs> he's seeing Annie, and she said yes. He he was like women did find him irresistible. It was like some women could, not all women. Like some women were like, uh, no. But she said, uh, and I have several direct quotes from her. This was thanks to that that Australian newspaper, uh, the Capricornian. But he was liable to sudden change. I have seen him sit by me talking gently of the things that women like to hear from lovers. And suddenly he would change completely, spring up with the fury of a thousand bells blazing from pitiless eyes that seemed capable of looking on and gloating over infamy or cruelty. If there was ever a Jekyll and Hyde personality, it was Frederick deeming feed the bears <laughs> and then she said uh there was always something about the man i could not endure and though he exercised an amazing fascination over me i refused to marry him i could not explain or justify my attitude it was just instinct or intuition i was certain there was something wrong somewhere so she actually he takes her to the house at some point to the house where they would eventually find emily mather's Body. Oh my god. Yep. Hey, Salter, I barely know her <laughs> oh. from our chat room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and uh, she says, uh, I remember my first visit to the house that had been made the grave of his murdered wife. There was something creepy about the place. As I stood on the hearthstone there, there was a deep sense of tragedy that I could not explain. And now, granted, this is after she dis- you know, she learns of everything that has been done there. But the thing is, is that they had even talked about something related to this. She, they had been talking about a local family. An entire family had gone missing. And she was like, I don't understand how nobody could find them. And he said, real simple. Quick climb them up, bury them underneath the hearthstone. So kind of um, a little incriminating there. And she basically gets her, she's, her instincts are so strong on him. She gets her Nancy Drew on. She busts into that house and starts investigating. She finds some pictures of a woman and children and some quicklime. 
So, and she was the one who actually went to the police and she was like, okay, look, I think this dude, something's wrong here. I think something has happened. Um, and she goes to the police and they called her report the, quote, unfounded fears of a nervous woman. She's got a vagina. Opinion doesn't matter. Right? Right. Yeah. Well, we're, we're dealing, like Christy and I have talked about this before. We are dealing with a time whenever women were seen as property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the, the hierarchy was like like as far as like the bottom of everything goes women were like third from the bottom because it's like women then black people and then right at the bottom black women yeah yeah you know and that's a shame that's a goddamn shame but that's the way it was uh the i've i've heard it said before and i'll say it again it, it was a very european mentality and honestly the best way to describe world history, if you want to describe world history in three seconds, the best way is, it's Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. And then, you know, event, well, nah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nah, yeah, nah. All right, let's go back. So, okay. Uh, and the thing is, is that while Kate is dodging a bad wax, uh, so is Annie. Because it seems that, you know, he's seeing them both at the same time. And he's worried that they're going to find out about each other. You know, as one does when you're juggling a couple a couple of women. And so he decides, well, what's the easiest way to deal with this? Obviously, I need to kill one of them. The quick lime that she found was probably meant for her. Mm-hmm. That is some, like, keep you up at night when you realize that you're like, oh, shit. So they find, I should say, the police did later give her credit when the truth came out, you know, down the line, they were like, oh, yeah, she did this, this uh, a salter. She did come to us and say, you know, I think that this guy was up to something. And to her credit, what do you know? He was. Come and back when much you in- have a penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and the newspapers before he's even caught the newspapers and, and, and everything, the theater community, I guess we could say, are making a, a, a big thing of this, which it is a big thing. You, you, you know, found a, a body underneath the hearthstone. And they're already making what we're gonna dig into later, the yeah, white dig, ch- dig, uh, <laughs> the Whitechapel connection. Mm-hmm. Some should ring some bells there. And there's a play in in March and April. Keep in mind, they found her body, Emily's body, in on March third. In March and April, there's a play going on called A Willful Murder. They haven't even found him at this point. They had probably had to update the play like a month after. You know? Law and order. Yeah, yeah. Does it constantly? Oh, yeah, ripped from the headlines. Exactly. It's no better now than it was then. We just have nicer techniques of finding them. I will say, it's a little bit better now because if your child, if your adult child dies, you might actually hear the news from the police instead of from a newspaper reporter, which is how Emily's mother found out her daughter was dead. Mm. Keep in mind, she'd heard from... From Frederick, from from good old, you know, Fred, the husband. And so she had no reason to believe that anything was wrong. But the, the newspaper reporter, uh, he, he was, you know, working in England for an Australian paper, if I remember correctly. And he, he found her and he was like, oh, so about your dead daughter. And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, could you <laughs> spit take? Yeah. Could, could you run that by me again one more time? So um, they find some stuff in the house, and then they, 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 there is some good police work once they actually start, you know, aside from the not listening to somebody because they have a vagina thing, there's some good police work going on here. I was impressed with this. They, 
have his wedding invite that has that alias's initials on it. They talk to some locals. They find the ironmonger who sold him the cement. They get a really good description oh, from this beautiful. guy. It was really thorough. We need more mongers in modern society. Not the war variety, but other mongers, yes. I will take, go even gossip mongers, I'll take them. I am no longer gossip. a Transformers collector. Yeah. I am a robot monger. <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer a writer. Yeah. The ironmonger was awesome, though. I love this description. So, um... He, he refers to him as mid-30s, fair-haired with a fair reddish beard and a large distinctive mustache, medium height, slight build, um, flamboyant, dressed with lots of jewelry, and spoke loudly with a Lancashire, England accent. Pinpointed the accent, yeah. or at least close. I'd say he grew up somewhere on the, on the, uh, in the area of Fifth Street, just by, <laughs> by the use of the, like, this guy's a fucking forensic linguist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they, they, they trace him, uh, they, they find the Kaiser Wilhelm II via his, uh, torn luggage ticket that they find in the cottage. By the way, uh, Johnny Eponymous in the chat says, it is named after Kaiser Wilhelm II. Okay! Yes. So thank, thank you! Thank you, Johnny. Much appreciated. His name is actually Chris. I know. <laughs> but we, we just, we can't stop calling him Johnny Eponymous. It's such a good name. <laughs> that was the first thing that Scott said. He was like, I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> So this torn luggage ticket leads him leads them to the Kaiser Wilhelm II, um, and they find a bunch of passengers on the manifest. These passengers not only had talked to Frederick Deeming, and, and he stood out very much because he was a braggart, he was a liar, he bored the crap out of them. He also was constantly, like, the, the crew hated him because he was always like, you stole my stuff! And they were like, no, I didn't, get away, you creepy man. As he's pulling their watch out of their pocket. You stole my stuff! <laughs> right? This is mine right? now. Projection, like a movie theater. Um, <laughs> and the members of the, the, the or passengers on the ship had also talked to Emily, who had mentioned Rain Hill. Mm. And that's how we get there. So uh, they arrested him at Southern Cross in Western Australia on March 11th. He's deny, deny, deny at first, you know, his game. And then eventually he says, this one, quote, I think I know the party who has been murdered. I don't believe anyone would have the heart to murder a girl like that, end quote. And he's found, well, I believe that somebody would have the lack of a heart to murder a girl like that because he's found with a, a prayer book uh, with her name on it, a case with Emily engraved on it and gloves inside, other things that were found, um, a, a double photo frame containing two photos, one was them. Uh, one was of him and a six-year-old girl. The other one was a family shot. Uh, you got your dad. You got your mom. You got three kids. Uh, there was a pocketbook with a train timetable uh, to and from Rainhill and Saint Helens Junction. So again, we're making that Rainhill connection. We're t connecting him to there. Uh, a small battle axe, as we all carry. You know, self-defense important. And uh, a Master Mason's apron with the monogram FBD. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Okay, that's... Uh, okay. I didn't know about the Mason's apron. And that's... Uh, that's going to come into the th something a little bit later. Ooh, okay. I'm eager to hear this, but we'll, yes. we'll get Yeah, there. we're going to wait for it. We're going to yeah. wait for it. Ooh. So, <laughs> Kate, meanwhile is on the train going to meet him. She reads about all of this in the paper. 
And, but she doesn't realize because they're using one of his other aliases or using his real name. I'm not really sure because there's so many different freaking names. And um, go ahead. I have some very useful information coming out of the chat room. Lancashire accent is incredibly easy to recognize for any Brit because it's sort of mocked in the way the southern accent is in the U.S. Oh, oh who's God. that from? Johnny, Johnny Eponymous. Johnny Eponymous. Johnny knows everything. Johnny, yeah. Johnny, please come here every week. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, yeah, she's on her way to meet him. She reads it in the paper. She doesn't make the connection because he's used a different name with her. She gets to Melbourne, and there's a telegram waiting for her. Her sister had read all about this and had made the connection, and she's like, stop, do not meet him, stop. And there's your old-timey telegram joke. Did anybody get it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it took me a second. (laughs) I was so happy when I came up with that. You have no idea. I'm sitting there just delighted, sitting there just delighted with myself and giggling at my computer like a weirdo. So um, they, all these, (laughs) stop, do not meet him, stop. That was, that's, this is me, Amber. I know. You can like it or you can like it. Those are your two options. All right. There's all right. The... Moving on. So this is who I am. Okay. Um, they uh, they make the Rainhill connection. They trace him to Denham Villa, and they go there and they find a freshly cemented floor, fairly freshly, like you know, six months ago. They dig it up. And they find Marie and the children. Now, all of them had been had their throats slit except Bertha. She had been strangled. She'd been strangled. Yes. I yes. found that strange. Anybody have any possible explanation yes. for this? Okay. Yes, I actually I have a lot of information on this. So one of one of the most disturbing, in my opinion, things is um, he actually used his third wife Emily's name to buy this. He used his third wife, Emily's name, to buy the cement used to <gasps> entomb his family. Mm-hmm. Oh. So he made the purchase in her name. Um, and, and then the bodies weren't actually all found at the same time. Um, so they dug out, obviously, the mother first, and she had a child on either arm. And they thought they had them all. Maybe he had given away the other children. They weren't sure, but the smell continued, and they realized there was two more children buried at her feet. Oh my goodness! Yes. Ugh. So it, it it took them a while to to get all the women out. Um, oddly enough, the woman was laying on her back, facing up, and the children returned with their faces downward, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to spoil a little something. Um, is it's thought that this man could be Jack the Ripper. There is there is a lot of evidence saying that he was Jack the Ripper. A couple of the Whitechapel murders happened whenever he was supposedly in jail. But once again, we know that we really can't trust records from this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whenever a lot of the, the Whitechapel murders, a lot of the prostitutes were killed... They were strangled first, and then their throats slashed. There was evidence of that. Um, And the way that Jack the Ripper would arrange the organs after he removed them kind of mimics the way the children were placed around uh, Marie Deeming. On top of that, there has always been a thought that Jack the Ripper was a Freemason because of the way he killed some of them. 
there is an oath that Freemasons will take, and I am pulling this directly from memory. So please forgive me. It's like, uh, were that my throat slit from ear to ear and my left breast torn asunder and my innards across my shoulder. Uh, the if, hell is up with that oath? If you That's give away the Freemasonry secrets. That's oh, what you're okay. saying you wish happens upon you. Still. A lot of the Whitechapel murders, the intestines were removed, thrown over the shoulder, the slice from ear to ear through the neck. So a lot of the Whitechapel murders actually mimic the oath that the Freemasons take. So uh, so many people believe that, that Deaning was Jack the Ripper, that they have his death mask in Scotland Yard. They do. And they had it on display as, and they would tell visitors, this Jack is the, the face Ripper. of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but one more tidbit about his oldest daughter who was strangled. Okay. Is they believe that uh, he went to kill his wife first, maybe only, in their sleep. All, all of the wife and the kids were in their bedclothes. So she was the first to die, and they think the oldest daughter woke up, so he had to kill her and then just decided to kill the rest, too. Mm. It's just a theory. Yeah. But since it seemed like more crime of, oh, shit, now I have to do this, that's what they think happened. Wow. Rough, rough night. (laughs) Um, And these murders happened, they, they, they pinpointed to around July 26th, 1891. So not long, you know, he got out of jail on, or, you know, July 1st, rented the villa. So not too long after that, it didn't, their, their stay there did not last very long. And, uh, and this is actually also while he was, uh, trying to get into Emily Mather's knickers or bloomers or whatever. He was probably already there. You probably already there. (laughs) Um, once they made this discovery, we have, again, we have the murder picnic type behavior. Murder picnic. Murder picnic. They added extra trains to the schedule so that the curious onlookers could come and basically walk past the house. <laughs> this is all you're doing is you're walking past the house where, yes, you know something gruesome and horrible and a tragic has happened, but then you're just, you're walking past the house. I'm taking a day trip. To walk past the house. Okay, sure. Hey, kids, take a deep breath. I bet if we breathe far enough, one of us would get like a molecule from her last breath. Yeah. They add uh, the, the funeral procession, uh, 10,000 people on the sides of the streets watching the funeral procession. So another another town overrun. You know, we, we keep on seeing this again and again. Deeming is taken to Melbourne on April 1st. His lawyers try to postpone for a month because they want to get some psychiatric testimony going. They need a little time for that. And the judge is like, oh, take all the time you need. April Fool's. <laughs> you got a week. Good luck. Uh, and the newspapers and the public are just going absolutely wild about this. The Melbourne newspapers are calling him, quote, the criminal of the century, end quote, and, quote, a human tiger, end quote, which uh, somebody was trying to come up with something, and I think they missed the mark a little bit. How, how many crimes of the century have we had here? It's been, this like, is, every right. week. Well, but this would be maybe Australia's crime of the century. <laughs> you know, like, in America, well, we're, we're just... For, for Australia being an island that was basically, like, not founded by criminals, but started with us, you know, like, people making mm-hmm. it a criminal colony, America's really <laughs> got, the, uh, got the criminal thing. Uh, we, we, we got a copyright on that shit. We really did good. High five, everyone. <laughs> High five, America. <laughs> okay, so, so Deeming's actually got one over on the police and the media. 
Um, so while he was in custody, he stood out very much. His mustache, everybody knew to look for. His jewelry. Um, so while under hourly surveillance, so that he could do no harm to himself, they were shocked to find him missing his large mustache in the morning. <laughs> he gave it away. <laughs> Here's a present. I fear, I fear the worst for me. Have my mustache as a memento. So because it made him stand out so much, um, he he decided to take care of it. And when the police saw him and were shocked and like scared because that's how everybody knew him, all the pictures, he smirked at the guards and was just so fucking pleased with himself because now he looks nothing like the wanted posters. Mm-hmm. So, um... It said that the loss of his long mustache exposed a wide, ugly mouth and brought his bold chin into prominence. Motherfucker was terrere. <laughs> <laughs> he had no tools. No tools. Right? So he plucked him out? Jesus Christ. He, he somehow managed Ow. to get a small piece of a glass bottle, not, not larger than a shilling, and he had plucked out over 75% of his mustache hairs. Oh, my God. Scott's mustache is cringing. Oh. <laughs> Without making a peep. Oh, my God. Scott's making lots of peeps. Right? Oh. So he pulled out 75% of his mustache hairs, plucked out by the roots. Scott on. has to do this I'm now. Gonna do he has one. to do I'm going to do one. Hold on here. I didn't even come out. Jesus Christ. Ow. Oh. It feels like I just swung five feet by my upper lip as I'm salivating. Oh. Fuck. We laugh at your self-inflicted pain. Right. Uh -huh. So he, he actually, he plucked out most of it. He only used the glass to cut the area around the corners of his mouth. Jesus Christ. That's okay. what he used the glass for. Everything else was plucked out out of spite. <laughs> spite-powered plucking. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> We've had spite-powered flying. Now we have spite-powered hair removal. <laughs> wow, Amber, good finding those details. I did not see that anywhere. This right. is news to me. It was right before the trial, so the police were bringing him in, and now he looks nothing like the man they captured. Yeah. And your, your eyes are still watering. I know. <laughs> you have no idea how much that hurt. Like, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Scott's causing himself physical pain on I behalf of the podcast. Not that we needed it. I needed to find out myself. Now, imagine that. Like, How many, how many hairs are in the human beard? And like, also, Scott, you do realize that there are women who like remove their eyebrow hair via plucking. I yeah, but they have wax, so it's like... No, it's a, but some people wax, some people pluck, or you might like pluck to clean it up like as it starts to grow in in between waxing appointments. I just I just plucked a couple eyebrow hairs and an eyelash this week. I'm going My to... eyelashes get wonky, and they start pointing in different directions, and I'm like, this is scary because I have tremors, but these tweezers are pulling this out before it scratches my eye. I'm willing to bet there are more nerve endings in the upper lip than there are in the eyebrows. Sure, but it still is painful. Yes. You, you can, you, do you want to demonstrate? Do you want to find that out for yourself? Come on here. You know what? Not nearly as bad. All right. Well, and I'm you got you the hair that time. The, 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 the hair, hair yeah. came out. So I'm sorry. Not nearly as bad. All right. Now, now, now pluck a pube. Okay. So, um, <laughs> no, nope. The uh, 
trial is April 28th to 30th and May 2nd. Some testimony is given to his psych condition. Not very well, but it's given by Dr. J.W. Springthorpe and Dr. J.Y. Fishborn, who... I love these! Springthorpe and Fishborn! Springthorpe and Fishborn, yep. In 1903, they would together be largely responsible for the creation of the... Which, despite its name, was, I'm sure, very helpful. Victorian Lunacy Department. (laughs) Which, um... Sounds like a comic book. Episode title. (laughs) I think I found it. But they, they, they both were highly critical of the mental institutions and mental illness practices and education that were in place in Victoria. You know, the... I think they I think it's a province. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, prior to to and so they just you know got together and they were like let's let's make the Victorian lunacy department so that there's some resource for helping with mental illnesses and, and and educating getting our doctors educated so that they can properly treat this. So big ahead of their time and I'm very concerned. Both of them very centered on mental illness and I think that's that's very laudable. I I, I say Springthorpe. I I just came up with a wild idea. <laughs> Let, let's treat them like humans. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Let's give that a shot. Fishborn, you're out of your goddamn mind! Deeming also claims that he, uh, all of this happened because he got syphilis from a sex worker in England. Okay. Um, Which helps add to the Jack the Ripper theory. It does, as a possible motive, yep. yes. Um, and he also talked about how, well, you know, you know how my mom died. All right, right. Well, her ghost... She'll come and she'll visit me, which is nice because I get to see my mom. But she also tells me to murder and uh, she's my mom, so I got to do it. So, so, yeah, it's my mom's fault. You should probably arrest my mom's ghost. Not all that exactly, but that's my take. <laughs> Dr. Venkman, Dr. Stance. <laughs> so Are you going to call? <laughs> now, Deeming actually told the prison physician that he had gone out with a revolver searching for the woman that gave him syphilis several times. <laughs> Wait, did she give him syphilis several times or did he go out several times? He went out several times. <laughs> just making sure. Searching for just, this woman. Just figuring out what happened frequently. <laughs> and intending to kill them. Yeah, she gave him syphilis. She must have given him other things. Yeah, so like he, he would go out with a gun which isn't his M.O., but he admitted to the doctor that he went out several times searching for the woman that gave him syphilis. Uh, however, the, the doctor is quoted is, I have frequently conversed with him but cannot believe anything he says. <laughs> Sounds about like uh, anybody who met him. Yeah. She gave yeah. me pubic lace, too. I should have known because her name was Krabby Patty. <laughs> <laughs> he also said uh, in court that Emily had just run off with another man and, quote, that is my one comfort, knowing that she is not dead, end quote. Oh, you romantic fool. See, th- that is, like, a- of the era, it's like, I'm going to kill my wife, and then I'm just going to tell her when she ran away with another man, fucking slut. Like, why yeah. is that the thing? She ran away. <laughs> no, we've seen it. It was in the Dr. Crippen case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just in our old tiny crimey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty common. It was pretty common. And it, we were living in a much larger world at the time. It was harder to get communications back and forth. So it was easier to fake exactly. that somebody had just run away. Exactly. Now it's... Oh, it's also probably much easier to run away. Yeah. That's true, too. So now it's a thing where it's like, oh, did she run off with another man? She was on Facebook. She was active about four minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. And she's posting photos of her actually blowing the dude in Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> so, I mean, they were tasteful photos, but I mean, that's obviously what she was doing. As long as they were tasteful. Yeah. 
In the end, everyone in the courtroom saw him not as a madman, but a sane man who who lashed so tightly to his own importance that it overwhelmed him. Wow, that's one interpretation. I think he was an asshole. Um, (laughs) Well, that's it. So uh, he was convicted, found guilty, and sentenced to death. That's strange with the complete lack of evidence. I know, right? I mean, I did not see that coming. Uh, He made an appeal. The appeal was refused. While he was in jail, he wrote poetry and an autobiography. The autobiography was destroyed, but we do have some of his poetry. Oh. Quote, the jury listened well to the yarn I had to tell, but they sent me straight to hell, end quote. And I just want to say, it doesn't scan. Doesn't scan. Doesn't scan. Uh, on May 23rd, he was hanged. So this is, again, we always see, like, old justice was a lot faster. And granted, that cushion of time that we have now, the multiple appeals process, it does th- make things more fair and potentially allow for falsely convicted people to be exonerated before they're, you know, sent to their death, which is something that you can't undo. You can un- sort of undo jailing somebody, else, not, not entirely... And I will say the systems in place, like when you, if you, if you go to jail, you serve your time, you get out, there are systems in place to help you. If you go to jail and you're exonerated and it's found you didn't actually do that, there's no systems in place. Like for you to like catch up on life, get a driver's license, get a job, all that shit. There's nothing to help you. Whereas the systems are in place if you're just let out as, you know, a result of your time spent. So that's my little aside. But I did forget to mention Kate was a witness against him at the trial. This was shockingly, in spite of his letter to her, saying that her faith in him is the only thing that means anything, and, um, oh yeah, could you send over that 20 pounds you owe me, and, uh, if not, could you take that ring that I gave you and then and, and sell it, because I need solicitor money and I need it now. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, that happened. Uh, but yes, you want to talk about the, uh, I, I do, I do reserve the right to read the victim blaming headstone, if you don't mind. No, you, <laughs> I've been looking I, forward to that, but go ahead and talk about so, it. So, yeah. uh, there is an, uh, there is a monument at the, uh, at the Melbourne General Cemetery erected to Emily Mather. What, uh, now you want to read the headstone, but I want to tell you who erected this. Absolutely. The Melbourne Inspector of Public Nuisances, who was a friend of the Mather family, a gentleman with the ridiculous G.I. Joe name of Edward Thunderbolt. I love him. <laughs> and I also feel like Inspector of Public Nuisances, I, I heard you two around all every, every week. You I think I'd be inspector. I think I'd be super good at this. <laughs> I think I found my calling. I'm gonna go if that is it still a thing in Australia. Christy Thunderbolt. <laughs> Christy Thunderbolt, oh I love it. Um, Scott Coxlam. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Edward Thunderbolt actually he got a public subscription going, you know, as a fundraiser, you know, proto GoFundMe. And it's uh now but I Props to him for, for trying to memorialize her in, in, in probably the best way you know how, but this is some victim-blaming bullshit is what this headstone is. Uh, also, not great poetry. Advice. To those... Again, this is written on her fucking headstone. I just want you to get the, get the fury in. Advice. To those who hereafter come reflecting upon this text of her sad ending, to warn her sex of their intending for marrying in a haste is depending on such a fate too late for amending. He's basically saying, don't get married too fast or else you might get killed because it was totally her fault for marrying the dude too fast. That's what got her killed, not the fact that he was a vicious 
asshole. So yeah, that that's kind of uh, kind of infuriating. Uh, as far as other graves are concerned, uh, people placed flowers on the grave of Marie and her children for years and years. Eventually, the headstone was stolen, and the grave is still unmarked to this day. Uh, we mentioned the death mask. I only found this in one place, and I wasn't able to super verify it, but uh, at one point, his skull, Deeming's skull, went missing. It was it was being kept somewhere. Again, I didn't get super you detailed asked. on this. Do you? Ha oh, thank you, Amber. Okay. Do you have more on this? Because I only had the missing, and they thought it was either him or Ned Kelly, and they were like, well, I don't know. Uh, no, it was actually removed and studied for phrenology. Phrenology! Phrenology! Our favorite pseudoscience. So, um, the doctors actually found that his cranial capacity was around, um, 14,000 cc's, 100 cc's below the average for an adult male. They later described it as resembling that of a male gorilla. Oh, my God. They're so weird. <laughs> Thus reinforcing the belief of deeming being a monster in human form. I'm going to reiterate, your head shape has nothing to do with how good or bad of a person you are. I just feel like apparently it needs to be said. Yeah, so so they actually took his head to study it for phrenology. Mm. But then the, the getting it going missing part is weird. And they were like, well, it's either his skull or it's Ned Kelly's skull. We've got so many killer skulls floating around and somebody's real bad at inventory. You know what, Jim Bob? You know what, Jim Bob? I'm giving you one more chance. You lose one more killer skull and it's going to... I'm going to fire you. Jim Bob's <laughs> dustbin is nothing but fucking skulls. Yeah. Right? He's like, I don't remember which death mask I was making. <laughs> yeah. oh my Here, God. this one looks like a gorilla. Is this the one you're looking for? <laughs> Like, this is a cat skull. This is this is not Ned Kelly. This is Tinkles, the murdering cat. This is Raffles. Ra oh my God, it's Raffles. Oh, not Raffles. Raffles. No. What happened to Raffles? Fuck my life. God damn you. You're fired, Jim Bob. You're so fired, Jim Bob. So I'm going to go curl up with Raffles' skull and cradle myself in the corner. I'll be in the fetal position if anyone needs me. So they do have his death mask, a couple copies of it from what I can understand, because it's in two different places. So either that or the laws of physics have been severely compromised here. Maybe one of them is the actual skull. <laughs> yeah. One is at the old Melbourne jail, and the other is, as we said, at the Black Museum at New Scotland Yard. Uh, so the Jack the Ripper stuff. Go ahead, Scott. I'm yeah. going to lean back and leave it all to you and rest my, rest my back. As we said, I mean, he is a... He is a very, very good uh, suspect for Jack the Ripper. I'm going to say he's probably one of my top three. Uh, the other one being a, uh, I believe his name was John Smith, who came over after the Ripper murders happened. He and came then he over went to back America. over and, and married Pocahontas. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but, I mean, it was whenever, whenever uh, I believe his name was John Smith. By God, it's not, it's not coming to me. But whenever he came to America, like every place he went, Ripper murders started happening in America. So much so that like one of the Philadelphia newspapers actually said, has Jack the Ripper come to America? And then as soon as that's whenever he left and that's whenever the Whitechapel murders stopped. Uh, John Krasinski, who I really believe 
uh, or Kaminsky, John Kaminsky, who I actually believe was Jack the Ripper. So not Jim from The Office. Not Jim from The Office. <laughs> Good. John Good. Kaminsky, I honestly believe him to be Jack the Ripper. And they did actually match some DNA up with him, didn't they? Absolutely. I actually Absolutely. Fa- um, heard one or found one detail of that, which is like not necessarily related to ours, but I thought it fascinating that... Um, I didn't. I don't have sources on this, and I, I only kind of skimmed it. But one of the the men at this particular scene where they found this DNA, uh, it was actually on a uh, a, a long, very long shawl uh, that the the policeman who was there, he was like one of the inspectors. He was like, "That's a nice pattern. I think my wife might actually like that. You know, she she does a lot of sewing and everything. She's a seamstress. So he took it home to his wife, and she was like, "Yeah," and she just like put it in a trunk for years or something, and that's how it eventually got preserved. Yeah, essentially. So yeah, that was that was kind of crazy. Like I can't imagine like some my husband coming home being like, "Here, probably some blood and maybe a little jig on it. (laughs) Make something. Was it the hope chest for the win? Yeah, she probably put it in the hope chest. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but she. I hope I never see this again. (laughs) Yeah, that is my hope in this chest. He matched some of the descriptions of Jack the Ripper that eyewitnesses gave, but there was that pesky thing of him being in jail whenever one of the Whitechapel murders happened. Until Robin Knapper, a former Scotland Yard detective and a forensic researcher, along with a team of researchers, found out, fuck, the records are wrong. He was not in jail at the time. So he very well could have been Jack the Ripper. And as we said, the the criminal profile fits him exactly. It, uh, I, I take issue with that because I don't think just putting the way you put bodies somewhere matches the arranging of, of organs. I think I call that a stretch in my mind. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and I feel like just saying somebody wasn't um, in jail. Well, there are a lot of people who weren't in jail and probably some of them were killers as well. Right. Um, and also we don't have record of him killing anyone who wasn't somebody he married or uh, was a father to. Okay. So I'm going to counter argue you. So Jack the Ripper was actually an opportunist. So he would go and get anybody, didn't matter, kill him, leave their body where they fell. I'm not going to say anybody. But, he targeted prostitutes and remember... But it didn't he, matter which one. He said, I mean... Uh, and I'm believe me, I'm playing devil's advocate yeah. oh, here. Oh yeah, sure. We all. I think we're all playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I don't way. different sides of the devil. Exactly. I don't think Deeming was Jack the Ripper. If yeah. I have to put my money down on it, it's Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did say I went out hunting for the prostitute that gave me syphilis yeah. every night. He said with a gun, but he also lied about everything. Yeah, yeah. So like he would have the motive. He would have the opportunity. But there was a lot of, like, the timeline even that they were so unsure of because they didn't know which alias he was under. Was he in Africa? Was he in Australia? Was he in England? They had no idea because he bounced all over. So there's a there's a lot of iffiness there. Yeah, yeah. 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 To me, it, it, there, there's too many questions for it to be anything but a probably not. See, I mean, I will leave that room. Yeah. I've got the, I'm not saying not. I'm saying probably not. See, the big thing for me is that he didn't hide the bodies. Yeah, that's true. That's another thing. I didn't think of that. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. Of course, we have seen killers who are, are versatile, like mm-hmm. uh, Peter Curtin, who just do, 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 you know, like, granted, he seemed to kind of target the same type of population, vulnerable people, but he, as far as method was concerned, he, he was all about variety and switching it up. Well, he so, switched it up just to throw the police off. Well, we don't know if it was to throw the police off or because he was just feeling it that day, because he was, he was a 
Today I feel a little stabby stabby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, I, I still feel like he was very impulse driven and so, didn't have any control. Aside from the DNA, I think the DNA is the real smoking gun. Oh, yeah. I don't think deeming was Jack the Ripper. But the second thing is, whenever like we had eyewitnesses to Jack the Ripper, they never went, he had 15 gold rings on his hand. That's true, He yeah. swaggered, and he told me a story about hunting down an elephant that I know was bullshit. Yeah, I feel like if we had if we have witness statements uh, of describing Jack the Ripper, they would have described something more similar to what we've seen, because Deeming couldn't help who he was or pretended to be, you know, he couldn't help yeah. that, that bragging and the jewels and all that stuff. I don't see him going out and stalking the streets without all of his diamonds and everything. So I'm convinced that Deeming has a micro penis. I'm really convinced of this. Like if he lived in present day and age, he would have the biggest fucking truck you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. He would be rolling coal. <laughs> Did you see the size of Deeming's carriage? He has 18 Clydesdales. <laughs> And I think he's got a lift kit on his carriage. <laughs> Mayhaps he's compensating. <laughs> but yeah, I think a lot of a lot of this is just him compensating with with his gold dildos with diamond studs. I yeah. think yeah. no woman could ever measure up to his mother in his mind. Yeah, yeah, pretty gross, isn't it? But I, I think he just like he he that that could account for the multiple marriages. Him just being like. You know, that last one, still kind of current one, she wasn't as good as mommy, so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna look for another one, and oh, what do you know, she's not as good as mommy, so, and also I'm getting, you know, in trouble for it, so I'm going to go over here, and then I'm going to come back, and, uh, well, oh, here's the original not as good as mommy, and I'm getting kind of sick of her, so off she goes, and all the kids are here, so they're going to. You know, that's just kind of like when my thought is, like, maybe you, you might be able to attach it to his... his it's kind of got a little tinge. It's of a bit Ed Geenish. Ed Geenish, Hans Schmidt. Yeah. Remember his the religious association yeah. with his mother. Sigmund Freud would have had a field day or with this guy. Punishing. I, I don't know about the kids, obviously, but punishing women he's had sex with. Uh, also a possibility, which that actually that could lead us down to the Jack the Ripper if we're going with that for motive. I feel like a yeah. lot of the women I've had sex with have been punished, but I wasn't the one doing the punishing. <laughs> it was just sort of like God going like, eh, you're with Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, on that note. Yep, yep, that's enough. I think we've, I think we've covered Frederick Deeming. So, uh, Australia, you are quite welcome. You have many fascinating cases that have been added to our list. It is an extensive list, but I promise you we will return and look at your awesome bar names sometime soon. And, hey, you know, uh, contribute to our Patreon. and, and um, uh, Patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. There's so much more stuff there. There's so much more so much. stuff. And you can do that, and maybe and eventually we can come and visit you and uh, talk to you uh, in real time. Wouldn't that, that would be, be fantastic? Bloody fantastic. <laughs> that would be bloody fantastic. Crikey. Uh, sorry, I had to. I had to. I got all the way through the episode. You're fired I, from Australia. I do have to say. I do have to say. Um, real quick story. Um, I was talking to my therapist, and I, I was I, I mentioned uh, the podcast, and she was like, "What's the name of it? Like old time crime?" And I'm like, "It's old timey crimey." And she's like, "Oh, I knew it was something rhymey." And I said, "Blimey." <laughs> And we, she was in hysterics. She was like, her, her husband works in the office. Uh, and she's like, sometimes he asks me, he's like, what are you laughing about in there? Are you really doing work with patients? Because I think it's comedy hour. So yeah, that was that was a, that was a thing oh. that happened. I couldn't help myself. As soon as she said, I knew it was something around me. I was like, 
Blimey. <laughs> so yeah, um, so yeah, there is our, our old-timey, crimey uh, Patreon. We also have our PayPal. If you're not the long-term relationship type, buck on the nightstand is fine. Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. You can use to make a donation. Just tug it right next to my scrotum. That's fine. <laughs> also. It's like leaving the tip underneath the glass. <laughs> after Scott said that, don't forget about those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. If you want to go old school or new school. Uh, they really help, um, and, you know, you just say whatever you want, honestly. Um, uh, say whether or not you thought that uh, Deeming was Jack the Ripper or not. Give us, a, give us a little schooling on that. You don't even necessarily have to fill it with praise or anything. Just talk about the crime and don't use any swear words so it gets approved. <laughs> you also have our social media. We are oldtimeycrimey on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. Facebook is the group, not the page. That There's a whole thing there. It's it's everything. So. Same thing with my old my other podcast. It's, there's a page and then there's a group. It's just, go to the yeah. group. Yeah, the group is the one that has the activity. So, so yeah, come and see us, please. We would love it if you would come and say hi. You can give us uh, ideas for, for future cases. Uh, granted, we have an extensive list, but I, I keep on getting ideas that I haven't heard of. There's, unfortunately, a lot of murder out there, and a ton of it happened before 1950, so... Well, I guess, fortunately for us. Well, fortunately for us, yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, as we like to say, the good old days weren't always so good. So, yeah, that is uh, that is all my stuff. So, um, weekend plans, guys. Unfortunately, I work during the weekend. Mm. Me too. But I feel safe enough. I've become, I become to the point where I feel safe enough that I feel like I can let my 3D printer run while I'm at work. Oh, nice. So, yeah, every day I come home to something new. Oh. And it, this is an odd thing. I, I, I'm, I'm curious, like other people with 3D printers, whenever you have the ability to make anything, you start to want stuff less. It is an odd, like, juxtaposition. Like, I can make anything in three dimensions right now. I can get on Blender, design it myself, get on Tinkercad at work, design stuff myself on Tinkercad because it's not a program that's saved on the computer. It's a program, it's like in a browser, right? I just, I feel like I don't need to buy stuff as much. Or you yeah, need to get nice. creative yeah. and make some weird stuff. Oh, I've, there's plenty of weird stuff. probably already done that. I haven't, <laughs> honestly, because I don't want to make anything that could break off in me. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond studded butt plug it is. <gasps> So, all right. Um, I'm also going to be doing some work this weekend. I have uh, some grading to catch up on and midterm grades are due. Uh, so I want them to be as accurate as possible. So I'm going to be sitting at my desk, hopefully not in a lot of pain. I have been on the on the mend. It's slow progress, but it's progress. But yeah, so working for me too. And uh, just a little little tease for you. It's uh, it's getting towards the end of February and I'm I'm hoping this will be uh sometime mid to late summer. I also have some work on um another podcast that will be coming your way that I've just started the preliminaries on. There's a lot lot more work to be done, but I'm starting to um to to build up and figure out what material I'm going to need and so on. So it's getting very exciting. And that's all the teaser I'm going to give you, honestly, because uh, I'm just, I, I, some, I feel that the, the shine can wear off the, the diamond if you, if you rub it too much. <laughs> How about you, buddy? Just work. That's, I, like, I have no life. I don't know. Like, I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to play with my kids and probably like teach them how to blow up a rocket or something. Nice. On. Like that flat earther. That was so nice. We oh go <laughs> talked about that at my physical therapy appointment too. My gosh, flat Earther went up in a rocket, tried to prove it the Earth was round instead, and prove the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, that video was like 
It's glorious to watch. Yeah, really kind of, I didn't watch it, but my physical therapist said something along the lines of, I think he found out the earth was flat when he hit it. <laughs> but, like, I started to watch the video, and, and Max, like, I didn't realize he was, like, close to me. Oh, He's God. like, oh, rocket? Oh, no. Yeah, rocket. And I'm like, yeah, that's a rocket, buddy. He goes, what happened? I'm like, nothing. Nothing, <laughs> oh, buddy. We actually have a, a, a rocket kit that we got for, like, Jackson's company, White Elephant, like, year before last so uh, if you want to bring the kids up and we can make a rocket sometime when the weather's nice, we need to use that. Let's launch yeah. that some bitch. Yeah, Do all right. It. All right. So uh, that has been us for this week. We have launched this some bitch and uh, we are out of here. So thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next week. Bye. Flat Earther forever. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> My sources for this week are Casebook, uh, an article by John Goddle on Casebook, uh, Aaron Blakemore on JSTOR Daily, Wikipedia, of course, Barry O. Jones on the Australian Dictionary of Biography, uh, Natasha Murphy on the Feeling Murdery podcast, <laughs> Chris Adams and Helen Goltz on the uh, Grave Tales series podcast, and the Capricornian, which is a newspaper out of Rockhampton. <laughs> My sources for this week are wikipedia.org, murderpedia.com, and I kind of went heavy on the YouTube this week. I watched two videos, uh, Jack the Ripper, the Australian Suspect by YouTuber Otto Van Bismarck, Ooh. and Briefcase, uh, the YouTube channel is called Briefcase, the dark and cold case of cruel killer Frederick Deeming. Say that ten times fast. The dark and cold case of cruel kill... I can't do it. We don't have the time for that. I have uh, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Casebook, and executedtoday.com. Ooh. <laughs>